We are in the midst of a series that is entitled, The Prophets Speak of Jesus. And Jesus himself has directed us into this study. As he was explaining to the disciples everything written about him, in the Psalms, the law, and the prophets needed to be fulfilled. And Jesus unfolded for his disciples, giving them insight and understanding to what the prophets had spoken about him. Remember that when the apostles began to preach the gospel after the day of Pentecost, they did not have a New Testament like you and I do. The apostle Paul would reason from the Old Testament scriptures, that Jesus was the Messiah. You know, when you and I memorize scripture, we are committing into our hearts and our minds the very mind and purposes of God. When we read and when we study scripture, we are studying God. We are studying Jesus. We are coming today to the prophecy of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is a weighty book, a word that we are going to look at a little bit later. It is heavy. It is confusing. Many people do not like Ezekiel, just like many people don't enjoy reading Leviticus. And yet this is the word of God and it presents Jesus in a most powerful and profound way. Today is the first of two studies that we are going to do here in Ezekiel. And we are entitling this study, An Extraordinary Vision. Let's take a moment and watch a video that will give us an overview of the first half of Ezekiel. An amazing and a fascinating book. Within Ezekiel, there are dozens and dozens of warnings that you and I need to read and take to heart. Here is one for us today. God said to Ezekiel, my people come to you as they usually do and sit before you to listen to your words, but they do not put them into practice. With their mouths, they express devotion, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Indeed, to them, you are nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well. For they hear your words, but do not put them into practice. Remember that Jesus, in his sermon at the beginning of his ministry, the sermon that we call Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus spoke about repentance because the kingdom of heaven was near, he used these very words that the one who calls me Lord is the one who hears my words and puts them into practice. Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would give us ears to hear your words today. Father, I am neither fit nor capable for presenting this revelation today. I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, to go far beyond my words 
and to reveal Jesus to your people. And oh Lord, I pray that you would give us willing hearts and right spirits so that we will not just hear your words, but we will put them into practice. I pray in the name of Jesus, amen. So how do we find Jesus in all that we has just seen and has just been described to us? Well, let's look at a few details concerning Ezekiel's prophecy. The prophecy of Ezekiel occurred simultaneously with Jeremiah's prophecy. Jeremiah was in Jerusalem. He was experiencing the Babylonian sieges, and there were three of them, and being persecuted by his own people. Ezekiel, as we saw, was already in exile, having been deported within the first group of captives. As I said, there were three sieges of Jerusalem, and after this first one, Jerusalem became a vassal state of the Babylonians. The next sieges and the final destruction came because they rebelled against the Babylonians. But here is Ezekiel already in Babylon. And at the time that he writes this, he has been there for five years. The prophecy of Ezekiel is uniquely spiritual, and notice that I capitalized that word spirit, because 11 times Ezekiel records that the spirit, the spirit came into me, the spirit came upon me, the spirit lifted me up, the spirit carried me, etc. Of all the prophets, there's only one other who made such a reference. And he only made that reference one time, and that was Micah in chapter 3 in verse 8. One other detail about Ezekiel that is very significant. It contains the most definitive Old Testament portrait of Lucifer in his preferred position in eternity past. The pride that caused him to rebel against God and his fall. He is represented in chapter 28 as the Prince of Tyre. It is a passage that you and I need to study and understand. And along with Isaiah chapter 14, it gives us this composite picture of Lucifer and how he became, in his rebellion, Satan, leading a third of all the angels to rebel against God. And thus, giving their hearts over to this rebellion, they became the demonic host that oppose every purpose of God and perpetrate evil throughout this world. Ezekiel begins his prophecy with a vision of heaven. The Apostle John wrote in John chapter 1 and verse 1, In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. To initiate his divine calling to prophetic ministry, Ezekiel is given access 
to what I am terming the transcendent realm, the realm beyond the visible and the physical, the realm that is spiritual and eternal. And he described it in this way, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. Now that is a significant statement because it's a dedication of the temple under Solomon. Solomon prayed the words that God had spoken through Moses in Deuteronomy. Concerning his people, when they would abandon him, the heavens would be shut up. Ezekiel has never experienced such a revelation of God. The heavens have been closed. God has not been manifesting himself. His glory has not been experienced. Remember what the people were doing in the temple. But by a sheer divine act, a supernatural action of God, the heavens are open. And Ezekiel said, I saw visions of God. While other prophets had extraordinary experiences, we think of Daniel, or we think of Isaiah. This was such an unparalleled vision that we only find one that is comparable elsewhere in Scripture. And what we come to understand as we study Scripture in its larger context, this vision of God that Ezekiel was experiencing was, in fact, the Son of God in his pre-incarnate glory. We need to look at a couple of definitions here if we are going to grasp the significance of the revelation that we are seeing in Scripture today. The first is the word glory. The word glory means weight. It is the sum and the substance of God's infinite perfections. There was a line in the hymn that we sang today, perfect in power, in love, and in purity. And that is a summary statement of what we are talking about here. We use this word weight. We say that someone is going to bring the weight or the influence of who they are into a certain circumstance. He, what he says carries great weight because of an individual's prestige or stature or background. What he has to say carries authority. That's the idea here. This idea of glory that is weighty, whether we're talking about the Old Testament or the New. It brings the same emphasis, the sum and the substance of God's infinite perfections. The second word is incarnate. The word incarnate means to be invested with human nature and form. Made manifest. A synonym would be embodiment. Jesus is God incarnate. He was invested as the word with human nature and form. He was God made manifest. And so after setting forth the truth that the word was in the beginning with God and was God, the Apostle John wrote in his gospel, 
The word became flesh, incarnate, invested with human form and nature, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. His glory has been made manifest. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John adds a footnote here when he said, John the baptizer testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who has come after me has surpassed me because he was before me. In the hours before his death, Jesus prayed this prayer. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. Take note of what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is speaking of an existence he had with the Father before the world began. They shared glory. They shared the infinite sum of God's perfections. Jesus came into the world. He came from the position of eternal life into this world. He was sent to the earth to show the way to God, to give eternal life to people. And now Jesus has completed the work that the Father sent him to do. And he is asking the Father, now that it's been completed, to bring him back into the glory that they shared before the world began in eternity past. We know that Ezekiel was seeing the Son of God in his pre-incarnate glory because of the identifying details within the vision. In the same way that Ezekiel experienced the heavens being open and seeing a vision of God, the Apostle John was given access to heaven and to see the Son of God in his post-incarnate glory. And when we begin to explore what John saw, we find the same details that Ezekiel saw. Ezekiel saw the Son of God in the glory that he shared with the Father before the world began. John saw the Son of God in heaven with that glory restored. The prayer that Jesus had prayed had been answered. To understand everything that is being presented to us here in this revelation, you and I need to read some scripture. And so we are going to read from Revelation and from Ezekiel chapter 1. The Apocalypsis 
of Jesus Christos. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads, and those who hear the word of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now John writes that on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, Write on a scroll what you have seen, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Remember this description of this one who was someone like a son of man. John records in chapter 4. After this, I looked, and there was a door standing open in heaven. The voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what, what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit. And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald, encircled the throne. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and were covered with eyes all around, even under the wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. John continued in chapter 5. 
Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now, before we read from Ezekiel, there are some details here that are perplexing for people. In fact, there is, there is so much figurative language in the book of Revelation that many people just give up trying to understand it. But it's not difficult to understand. We see the word seven used many times. The word seven is the number of perfection or completion. And so when we see that number used in connection with God or with the lamb, see the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes. We know that that indicates perfection, completion, or in his case, what is infinite. We know that the word horn throughout scripture in the Psalms, for example, means strength. The lamb is infinite in his strength. What do eyes do? They see. He sees everything. When we read the description of the four creatures with eyes all over them, what does it mean? It means that God is omniscient. He sees and he knows everything. In every moment of history and eternity. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 1. And we're reading from the New Living Translation. We are making our way through the Immersed Bible prophets during this time. Let's look at what Ezekiel recounts. He tells us on the 31st, July the 31st of his 30th year. While I was with the Judean exiles beside the Kabar River in Babylon, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. This happened during the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's captivity. The Lord gave this message to Ezekiel, son of Buzi, a priest, beside the Kabar River in the land of the Babylonians. And he felt the hand of the Lord take hold of him. As I looked, I saw a great storm coming from the north driving before it a huge cloud that flashed with lightning and shone with brilliant light. There was fire inside the cloud, 
and in the middle of the fire glowed something like gleaming amber. From the center of the cloud came four living beings that looked human, except that each had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, and their feet had hooves like those of a calf, and shone like burnished bronze. Under each of their four wings I could see human hands. So each of the four beings had four faces and four wings. Each had a human face in the front, the face of a lion to the right side, the face of an ox to the left side, and the face of an eagle in the back. Each had two pairs of outstretched wings. One pair stretched out to touch the wings of the living beings on either side of it, and another pair covered its body. They went in whatever direction the spirit chose, and they moved straight forward in any direction without turning around. The living beings looked like bright coals of fire or brilliant torches, and lightning seemed to flash back and forth among them. And the living beings darted to and fro like flashes of lightning. As I looked at these beings, I saw four wheels touching the ground beside them one wheel belonging to each. The wheel sparkled as if made a barrel. All four wheels looked alike and were made the same. Each wheel had a second wheel turning crosswise within it. The beings could move in any of the four directions they faced without turning as they moved. The rims of the four wheels were tall and frightening, and they were covered with eyes all around. When the living beings moved, the wheels moved with them. When they flew upward, the wheels went up too. The spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. So wherever the spirit went, the wheels and the living beings also went. When the beings moved, the wheels moved. When the beings stopped, the wheels stopped. When the beings flew upward, the wheels rose. For the spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. Spread out above them was a surface like the sky, glittering like crystal. Beneath this surface, the wings of each living being stretched out to touch the other's wings, and each had two wings covering its body. As they flew, their wings sounded to me like waves crashing against the shore, or like the voice of the Almighty, or like the shouting of a mighty army. When they stopped, they let down their wings. As they stood with wings lowered, a voice spoke from below the crystal surface above them. Above this surface was something that looked like a throne made of blue lapis lazuli. And on this throne high above was a figure whose appearance resembled a man. From what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like gleaming amber, flickering like a fire. And from his waist down, he looked like a burning flame, shining with splendor. All around him was a glowing halo, like a rainbow shining in the clouds on a rainy day. This is what the glory of the Lord looked like to me. When I saw it, I fell face down on the ground, and I heard someone's voice speaking to me.
Amazingly, there are over 80 parallels between the prophecy of Ezekiel given to him in the 6th century BC and the revelation of the Apostle John at the end of the 1st century AD. Almost 700 years separated these two men, and yet their prophetic experience and vision was so parallel. For example, both saw a jewel-like rainbow. Remember that the rainbow is a sign of covenant. Both saw the blazing purity of God's presence. To Ezekiel, it was like a dazzling brightness above. To John, it was like a sea of glass. And did you notice how many times they used the word like? Because they were reaching for a human understanding. What could it be compared to? It went beyond anything that was natural or physical because it was transcendent and part of the transcendent realm. And so they used this word like again and again and again. Both had a vision of lamps representing God's spirit. Both saw four living creatures with extraordinary features. Both were given a scroll to eat and instructed to go and prophesy. Of all the parallels, there are four that are the most significant. One, both had a revelation of one like a son of man. There's that word like again who was overwhelming in his appearance. So overwhelming and so overpowering was his aura that both of them fell at his feet as though dead. Both detailed the wrath of God and his irrevocable judgment against the sinfulness of people and nations. Both of them spoke of a moment when the opportunity for salvation had ended and when God must judge both nations and people for their sinfulness. Thirdly, both saw four living creatures and described them with the same detail. Faces of a man, an ox, a lion, and an eagle. Remember that wings and many eyes were also prominent features. And then fourthly, both of their prophecies conclude with a new work of God in a setting of God's abiding presence. Righteousness, healing, and life. And their descriptions of how that takes place are extraordinarily similar. As we noted before, Ezekiel was seeing Jesus Christ, the word God, in his pre-incarnate form. John was seeing Jesus, the Lamb, now glorified once again with the glory that he shared with the Father in his post-incarnate form. 
after he had been here on earth. What is taking place in between? John tells us in his gospel, in the prologue, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. In his gospel, the apostle John presents the incarnate God word. The one who took on human form and came with all of his infinite glory. That is, he brought his weight, he brought his merit into the midst of human existence. And out of that weight, out of that fullness, extended grace, unmerited favor to sinful humanity. Now, this is a concept that you and I need to grasp and thoroughly understand, because whenever we read about grace and forgiveness and redemption in Scripture, it's premised upon this action. God does not forgive us just because he loves us. He forgives us on the merit of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ brought his weight the glory that he had with the Father before the creation of the world, the infinite sum of his righteousness, holiness, goodness. And he offered that as the payment on the cross, dying as our substitute and atoning death to pay the penalty of our sin. Understand, it's his weight and his merit that becomes the source of extended grace to sinful humanity. In the Revelation, the Apostle John saw four creatures. Now, what is extraordinary is that Ezekiel also saw these four creatures, but he saw them in a most unique way. Ezekiel writes, the center of the fire looked like glowing metal. And in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a human being. And on the right side, each had the face of a lion. And on the left, the face of an ox. Each also had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. Quite an unusual creature, wouldn't you say? Some might say that it's weird or grotesque. Is there any way to decipher what Ezekiel was seeing of this glory in heaven? Four creatures whose form was human, but who had four different faces and were capable of supernatural activity, moving, going, seeing at will, without having to change direction like you and I do? The answer is that we can find, we can decipher and understand. The answer is found in the good news or the gospel 
about the word of God incarnate. So let's look at this idea of the incarnate glory. The infinite sum of God's goodness, righteousness, holiness, truth, embodied in the form of Jesus, so that God might extend to us grace that brings forgiveness and salvation through the merit of this incarnate word. The writer to Hebrews tells us that we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Once again, the writer to Hebrews here is giving us the implication of the pre-incarnate glory of this one, who became incarnate for the purpose of tasting death for everyone, and who is now in his post-incarnate state, crowned with glory and honor. So what do we see of Jesus as we look in the gospel that resembles this vision that Ezekiel had, in which he saw the Son of God like the Son of Man in his pre-incarnate state? The gospel of Matthew is written to a Jewish audience and written for the express purpose of presenting Jesus as the Messiah. Now, as the Messiah, he had to be a descendant of David. And as the Messiah, that made him the king of the Jews. Remember that Matthew opens his gospel with the lineage of David to show that Jesus is the son of David. He goes back to Abraham, makes his way all the way down to Jesus, emphasizing that Jesus is indeed the son of David and the heir to the throne of Israel. And remember what we read when we were reading from Revelation chapter 5. The elder said to John in heaven, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Jesus, as the writer to Hebrew tells us, did not come from the priestly tribe of Levi. He came from the tribe of Judah. A lion represented that tribe. Jesus was the lion of Judah. And so as he is represented before the throne, when John sees that creature with a face like a lion, or when Ezekiel sees him in his pre-incarnate glory, there he is represented as the one who is king, as the one who came like the Son of Man in human form 
to be the Messiah, God's king for our salvation. The gospel of Mark presents Jesus in a different way. Now, Mark wrote his gospel as Peter dictated it to him to a Roman audience. The Romans were not interested in your ancestry. They wanted to know, what can you do? And so as we read the Gospel of Mark, we find the word immediate over and over again. We see Jesus constantly working and doing and moving. We see him serving the needs of the people from the opening chapter. He is ministering and healing. He is delivering people from demonic possession. He is working on their behalf. Jesus is presented continuously throughout the Gospel of Mark as an obedient servant. In fact, Jesus himself said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. What creature represents this aspect of obedient service, of working and laboring on behalf of others? It's that of the ox. And so when Ezekiel sees the pre-incarnate Christ, or John sees these creatures before the throne, there is the face of an ox. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Romans, said that Jesus became a servant of the Jews on behalf of the promises made to the patriarchs, so that the Gentiles might experience salvation and give praise and honor to God. The Gospel of Luke presents Jesus as the Son of Man. That is a title that Jesus used exclusively and attributed it to himself. And it represents not only Jesus who came in human form as our substitute, but also this son of man, as Ezekiel saw him, full of glory, invested with awe of the weight of divine nature. Jesus himself said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. In one of numerous representations of the Son of Man associated with heaven, Jesus said, at that time, meaning in the last days, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Over and over again throughout the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is portrayed in this way. The Son of Man, but invested with this infinite glory, associated with heaven, the transcendent realm, but also the author of our salvation. The Gospel of John presents Jesus as the Son of God, the God-Word incarnate. 
the one who came to bring salvation through the grace of his infinite merit. In John chapter 20, we read, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In the Old Testament, God characterized himself as an eagle. And speaking of his deliverance of his people from Egypt, which represents the world, from slavery, which represents the bondage of sin, God declared that he carried his people on eagles' wings, on his wings, presenting himself as an eagle. Again, John saw this likeness, this representation of all that Jesus is as the post-incarnate Christ. But Ezekiel also saw this representation. In fact, all four of these beings were identical. As they upheld this throne, what is represented for us there? Again, Ezekiel was seeing Jesus in his pre-incarnate glory. And John hears these words in Revelation concerning Jesus, that he is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And so everything that we read in the Gospels concerning Jesus Christ, every aspect of his nature that he came to do, was possessed by him. When Ezekiel saw him, Jesus did not gain something as time went on. He is the one who was, who is, and evermore shall be. He is the infinite one, full of grace and truth. Ezekiel was seeing Jesus in all of his glory as John would see him. Both the glory that he shared with the Father before the creation of the world and the glory that he would possess as the Savior of the world. Now crowned with glory and honor because he tasted death for everyone. Let me ask you a question this morning. How do you see Jesus? How do you see Jesus? The Apostle Paul wrote, to the Corinthians and said, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, the preeminent one, and ourselves as your servants. For Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has made his light to shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. 
Now, this question of how do you see Jesus is critical. Unbelievers see Jesus in one way. Those who have truly been able to see Jesus, see him in the way that Ezekiel described, see him as John saw him when he had his vision of heaven. Back in Ezekiel's day, as you read his prophecy, you will find that the people saw God in all kinds of ways, but none of those ways were true to the revelation that he had given through his word. They thought they could worship their idols and worship God at the same time, and they would be safe. They thought they could do whatever they wanted to do with their lives and still claim that because they were Jews, children of Abraham, that because they came to the temple and offered a sacrifice, that all was well. But they had forgotten God's word. They had forgotten what God had said in the covenant that they entered into with him. The writer to Hebrews says that if those commandments that were given through the law had their immediate and just punishment, how much more you and I need to pay attention to the one through whom God has spoken in these last times, the Lord Jesus Christ. What does God's word say about Jesus? And how do you respond to him? When John, who had known him, walked with him, spent time with him, saw him, in his post-incarnate state, he fell at his feet as though dead. Are you overwhelmed by who Jesus is? Do you even know enough about him to be overwhelmed? Does his life bring you? Does his person bring you? Does his authority bring you into a place of adoration, submission and surrender, fully devoted service? Only those who could not see him as he truly was felt free to do whatever they wanted to do, even if it was contrary to God's laws and self-deceived, they thought everything would be okay. But those who truly see Jesus and those who truly understand who he is bow before him as Lord, surrender their lives to him, and then follow him, endeavoring to live the life that brings honor and glory to his name. I urge you today to see Jesus as he truly is. He is God. He is infinite in his merit. His word is the final word. He has all authority. He can give eternal life or he can bring absolute judgment. 
He has the right to do both. And he gives eternal life to those who believe in him. I urge you to believe in Jesus. But I also urge you not to make assumptions about following him. And think that you can do whatever you want and live however you want. Just because you believe in him. You need to know what he has said. And to walk in his ways. And to truly honor him. With every detail of your life. May you have an extraordinary vision of Jesus. One that changes your life. And one that brings you to a place. Of full and complete devotion. And surrender to him. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you that you open our eyes to see Jesus because no one can understand him unless you give the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that we will not look at Jesus in an understated way. We will not look at him through the filter of our own assumptions. Father, I pray that we would see him in such a way that it transforms our lives. Father, I pray that we will see Jesus in such a way that it causes us to turn away from everything that is related to self and the things that we love of this world and to set our hearts on the transcendent glory. And to love Jesus and Jesus alone. Father, I pray that your word will richly inhabit the hearts of your people. That it will not be something that they forget. But it will be something that they meditate upon. That they search out in scripture. And that they allow to transform them. So that their lives reflect the glory of Christ with ever increasing likeness. We thank you for your word this morning. It is rich, it is profound, and it is priceless. And we thank you in the name of the one who was the word made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <music>